So I have something to admit to you. I am not a, a visionary um, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, Pastor Philip and I um, work very uh, collectively on and in tandem on is that he is such a visionary. He loves to look out and see things from years and years down the road. And I'm like, bro, like, you put me to sleep. Like, I'd rather not have a vision, anything um, going on whatsoever. But I'm more of a diagnose kind of guy. I like process improvement. I like how this big thing that's up in the sky relates to me right now, today. Um, so as you can see, um, different giftings require um, different uh, sort of operational um, talents we have of uh, a growing church, as you can tell, by the visionary leadership of Pastor Philip. If I was your lead pastor, your senior pastor, we would not go anywhere, but we would be running very smoothly. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> so that is the difference in terms of our in terms of our gifting. So if you would just bear with me this morning, uh, what I'm not going to do is talk to you about. Uh, this idea of moving the church all the way down the road years in advance when we talk about this idea of possessing the promises of God. That is not my intent for you to say, okay, if you possess the promises of God, here are all the blessings that will be stowed upon you. I'm not a prophet nor am I a visionary. But one of the things that I know is that we as a collective church, Big C Church, we have not always done what it has taken for us to possess the promises of God. And it sounds like an easy thing for us to accomplish, but the reality is possessing what God has for us in its totality is a very difficult thing. Uh, so for context, um, Numbers 13 and Numbers 14, uh, we have the Israelites who had spent 430 years in slavery. Uh, they were in Egypt prior to Moses coming to deliver them. And once Moses arrived in Egypt to deliver the Israelites, we see a 40-year wilderness experience with the Israelites. The book of Numbers is filled with various accounts of just complaining and bickering and all this good stuff that um, God is saying, that is not of me. Um, but there's just this significant stint um, of the Israelites just complaining. We see God's judgment and God's provision uh, throughout the entire book as well. And the picture that I want to paint for you this morning is just the idea of being so close to a blessing, so close to God's promises. I mean, you can just feel it, you can taste it, you can smell it. That thing that God has birthed on the inside of you many years ago that you just, if something just were to happen this morning, that it will radically change your life. Some of you, it's a dream that you had since you were young to pursue a certain profession. For some of you, it's to stand up and, and preach. For some of you, it's to start businesses and do those things. But there is something on the inside of you that God is calling you toward that if you are just leaning in and possessing those things, God will make that thing happen for you. But the problem is, is it's not as easy as it sounds because there are oftentimes a lot of barriers that prevent us from achieving what God has place on the inside of us. So we're going to read one of these accounts um, starting at uh, starting in Numbers chapter 13, uh, where we see the Lord will begin to command Moses to send men out uh, to scout the promised land. So they had been in the wilderness for quite some time. Moses has led them out um, of Egypt. They were headed to the promised land. They got just before the promised land. And we're going to pick up right there in the story. Numbers 13, verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses and said, Send men to scout out the land of Canaan. I am giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. And Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran of the Lord's command. And all the men were leaders in Israel. 
All right, so we're going to skip down. Those are all the beautiful names that I cannot pronounce. If you can pronounce them, pronounce them by yourself. Amen. Um, but two that I want to mention um, before we move forward is Caleb and Joshua would have been in the midst of these 12 leaders of the ancestral tribes. And I do want to point that out for us because it'll be important as we carry on in this particular story. Uh, verse 16, it says, these were the names of the men of Moses sent out to scout the land. And Moses, um, who was renamed, um, who, who renamed Hosea, son of Nun, to Joshua. In verse 17, it says, when Moses sent them to scout out the land of Canaan, he told them, go up to the way, um, go up this way to the Negev, Negev, I'm sorry, then go up into the hill country, see what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak or few or many, is the land they live in good or bad? Are the cities they live in encampments or fortifications? Is the land fertile or unproductive? Are there trees in it or not? Be courageous. Bring back some fruit of the land. It was the season of the first ripe grapes. So what we see here is a very descriptive picture of what Moses um, has charged these folks to do. He said, listen, I'm calling 12 of you. So you can just imagine in this room if I selected 12 of you to be representative and ambassadors for each um, of the areas of the church. And I say, listen, I, I want 12 of you to go into this land that God has promised us. But here's what I want to do as Moses. I want to make sure that the land that God has promised us is everything that God has promised us. I want to know that what he said is actually true. Amen. So he sent them over to scout out the land. He said, listen, I want to know about the agriculture. I want to know about the people. I want to know about the city. I want to know if there are walls in this place. I want to know if there's barriers to entry. I want to know everything about the promise. And if the promise is true, I want you to bring back evidence of that truth. I want you to bring back evidence of that truth. Verse 21 to 25 will tell us, um, an account of the spies going into Canaan, they would trail the outside um, of Canaan, of the promised land, scouting out the land, and they um, saw descendants of Anak, and they also saw fruit and figs in which they cut off a branch. And the Bible says it took two men to carry the fruit back to Moses. And look at verse 26, <clears throat> and listen to the scouts' report as they came back. So, so we know that they went, we know that they scouted out the land, we see what they saw, and two men had to carry the fruit back, just speaking to the level of abundance that the land of Canaan had. And I don't know how you carry your fruit, but if it takes two people to carry your fruit, uh, that's a little bit of abundance, amen? All right, so um, verse 26 says, the men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, and they brought back a report for them and the whole community and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, we went into the land where you sent us, and indeed it is flowing with milk and honey, and here is some of its fruit. Now, I don't know how many leaders are in the room, but if you had sent your people, whoever your sphere of influence is, to go scout something out for you based on your personal promises of God, and they scouted out everything that you told them to scout out based on what the Lord had told you. And they came back and gave you a report that said, it is everything that you have imagined. It is every bit of everything that you imagined. Here is its fruit. Two men are handing you evidence of the promise of God. Now, for me, I wish Moses had just told them to shut up. Like, literally, right then and there, like, don't say anything else, right? Because Moses had everything that he needed in that moment. What else did you need other than knowing that the promise was true and having evidence that the promise was true? 
Like, what else do we need, right? But just like typical people, we want to continue to affirm, continue to confirm. We want to hear everything out, right? Um, including the barriers that exist that hinders us from accessing the promises of God. Now, I don't know what kind of people you hang around with, but if you have ever told people a dream, most times it is not an encouragement for what the dream is or helping you achieve that dream. Most of the times it's why you can't achieve that dream. Amen? So, so here's the reality. You know, people tell you all the time, well, don't share your dreams with everybody. I don't subscribe to that. I believe what God says about me is true and will happen no matter who knows my dream, right? So I don't subscribe to don't tell people your dreams, but I do subscribe to the reality that you cannot listen to everybody. You can allow, not allow everybody to speak into your life as it pertains to what God has said about you. So Moses had everything he needed in that moment. And if you're taking notes, I will say this is point one, um, that boldness looks like believing that God's promises are true. Boldness looks like believing that God's promises are true. And what happened is, is the, the folks that came back to give Moses the report, it was 10 out of the 12 spies that would offer this report to Moses. And starting in verse 28, we will see what these negative Nancys had to say. Um, so verse 28, it says, however, the people living in the land are strong. The cities are large and they're fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there, the um, Amalekites, um, are living in the land of Najib. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 30, and it says, Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, We must go up and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. So we see Caleb sort of interrupt the scene, telling the folks there that you need to trust the promises of God. Now, I am very selective about how I choose my friends. One of my friends is actually here. Frankie, say hello. Wave your hand. He hates attention, but I'm putting it to him. You say, hey, Frankie. All right, so here's the reality. Me and Frankie have been friends about 20 years. And here's what happens. I will have some strange idea, and I'd be like, hey, yo, Frankie, listen. Here's what we're about to do. You down? He'd be like, I'm down. What are we about to do? Now, for you, that may have been so simple. It's like, why is that like a testament of friendship? Here's the reality. When your friends tell you that they're down before they know what they actually are subscribing to, that's just a level of friendship that you accomplished as years to come. You know what I'm saying? When you get that phone call, let's go. And they show up and they're like, what we doing though? You know what I'm saying? Like, those are the friends you want to keep as close to you as possible, right? So we have Caleb being that type of guy. He said, listen, Moses, you have been told about the promises of God. I have scouted this land. I see everything that God has promised in the, um, everything that God has promised, excuse me, and then we're going to sit here and act as though that the people that are there, whoever those giants are, and whoever all these people are, these fortified cities, are going to be the thing that prohibits us from accessing the promises of God. So Caleb, I can imagine, would just begin to recount, because they had been in the wilderness for quite some time. They had seen provisions. They had seen being fed and, and, and having drink and all this stuff as they traveled through the wilderness. God had consistently offered provisions for them. And Caleb is like, are you going to tell me that we get to this point? We get to this point where we have immediate access to the promises of God. We can see it. We can smell it. We tasted the promise of God but we're going to get right here and choose not to possess it. Scholars believe that 
Goliath was, um, oh, excuse me, excuse me, point two, before we go there, point two, boldness looks like trusting the evidence of God. I want to make sure that those of you who are taking notes actually have all your points, you know what I'm saying? All right, so point two, boldness looks like trusting the evidence of God. Let's look at verse 31. It says, but men who had gone with him responded, we cannot go up against the people because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land that they had scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak that come from Nephilim. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers, and we must have seen the same to them. So they're saying, listen, these jokers are big. Like, these aren't just regular, like, people in this particular land. Um, and scholars believe that Goliath was a descendant um, of, of Anak. Uh, they were just known as an abnormally sized people, right? Um, and some would even say giants uh, because they would stand somewhere between seven and nine feet tall. Now, again, I've painted this entire picture like they were a little bit foolish for not accessing the, the promises of God or possessing the promises of God because of some type of giant, right? And it sounds foolish to us sitting in this room like if God had done every single thing, he has all these years of provision, why would somebody not just go for it and access the promises of God, right? But here's the reality. Although it seems foolish to us because we're not fighting against people who are seven foot and nine foot, some of our giants just look different. Some of our giants look different. Some of your giants may be addiction. Some of your giants may be mental health issues. Some of your giants may be lack of resources or timidity or not being bold and, and witnessing, you know, to other people who may believe and help and encourage you to get to where God is calling you to go. See, our giants don't have to be somebody who's seven to nine feet and preventing us from accessing the promises of God. Sometimes our giants are ourselves. Amen. Our limited perspective of God our limited ideas about ourselves and, and the promises of God and who he says that we are that prohibit us from accessing the promises of God. And I love the passage, and I will say it every time I preach probably, but this idea that eyes have not seen nor have ears heard or even entered the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. I, I say that, that verse to myself every single day, every single day, that God wants to do something so big in me that if I'm just faithful to the promise that God would lead me to a place not because of me, but because of him to accomplish what he has called me to do. And I really believe that God is not only calling me to that, but he's calling you to that. Amen. I remember being asked the question, Marcus, why were you born at this particular time, at this moment in history? I don't know, bro. You know, like, like that's my initial response. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you say, like, why were you born at this moment, at this time, at this moment in history? And what are you going to do about being born at this particular time? What evil will die as a result of your existence at this moment in history? I'm like, bro, um, call my wife. She's smarter than I am. Maybe she can tell you. Um, but there's a reality that God is calling for our obedience to his promises. He is calling for our obedience to his promises. So you can imagine... After Moses has heard this report, you can imagine his response to the tribe leaders. Moses had led them out of Egypt and prayed for their safety and their prosperity. He had petitioned God for consistent provision despite their moaning, their groaning, their complaining. And then hearing immediate grumbling and loud cries from the same people after this report. 
So just imagine as a leader, man, I mean, you, you've went, you've had this burning bush experience. You know, you're trusting God. I have seen God with my own eyes. I know that he's calling these people out and he's going to deliver these people. They're going to live amongst the promises of God and they're going to be well. And then you go and show up to these people and you lead them out and they moan and bicker and complain the entire time that you're with them as God is offering his faithfulness and you are trying to lead them. Chapter 14, 1 through 5, details the Israelites crying out and saying, if we had only died in Egypt, our wives and our children will be destroyed if we enter the land of Canaan. It would be better for us to go back to Egypt in slavery than to enter Canaan. Let's appoint a new leader who would take us back to Egypt. I mean, could you imagine being a leader? And you're trying to lead these people, and you're doing the best that you can. You are petitioning. You are falling on your face before God. Often, he's having these encounters with God on a consistent basis, saying, God, do not smite these people. Now, the God of the Old Testament, he was not a different God, but he did not have any mediation that we get the privilege of in the New Testament. So his action was direct, and it was over. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was direct and it was over. And Moses will see in chapter 14, petition God, do not smite these people. What would everybody else say about you in Egypt if I have come and rescued these people and then you turn around and kill them? What would the people say? And so God told him, I'm not going to smite the people, but that entire generation will not have access to the promised land. See, the Israelites made a choice that they would rather die enslaved than to possess the promises of God. And some of us have made the same choice. We've decided that we'd rather overdose on our addiction instead of doing what God has called us to do. We'd rather suffer in silence and depression instead of seeking help. We'd rather stay in an abusive marriage instead of getting out of it. We'd rather have road rage endangering others than ourselves because our destination is more important than our lives. We have, in some ways, in our own lives, done the same thing. It's amazing how foolish the Israelites sound until we realize that the Israelites are just like us in many ways. The problem the Israelites were facing is that they settled for deliverance in the wilderness instead of embracing freedom in the promise. I'm going to say that again. The problem with the Israelites is that they were facing <laughs> thank you Jesus is that they were willing to settle for deliverance in the wilderness instead of embracing freedom in the promise. Now, deliverance says, I am no longer in bondage. Deliverance says, I am no longer in bondage. In other words, could you imagine just being shackled, and I was tied to something like this, and I was just, you know, here, and I spent all this time in the wilderness being here. People would, you know, offer me food, whatever the case, I was alive, but I was shackled. I could not move. Deliverance says, the thing that is holding me is now gone. But all of this other stuff is still here. My slavery mentality still exists. My unwillingness to move because I don't know what to explore. My identity is still wrapped in this idea that I 
am still in bondage, although the physical thing no longer bounds me. And sometimes we're willing to stay in this idea that we're no longer chained than to experience freedom in God. Freedom says, I will possess the promises of God. And what we see is that the wilderness was a necessary thing for those who are trying to experience the promises of God. So once you get rid of this, this element, this shackle, God will take you through a period of wilderness. I believe that the wilderness is simply your sanctification. Nothing more, nothing less. It's God's way of saying, I'm going to prune you and 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 prune you until you are ready to possess the promises of God. Now, that could be a hard season for a lot of us because that part is not fun. We don't like the idea of pruning. We don't like the idea that we don't get to banter in the way that we would with some folks. We don't like the idea that we can't hang around some of the same people that we were hanging around. We don't like the idea that everybody can't accomplish the dream with us. We don't like the idea that some of our family may even have to go, that they can't even come with us. See, we don't like to do the hard stuff during the pruning season. But God is calling us to a place of pruning. God is saying, listen, the wilderness is necessary for you if you want to move from deliverance to freedom. And so these what these individuals were going through during this particular time. We see from this passage alone that although they were taken out of Egypt, Egypt was not taken out of them. They still had an enslaved mentality. They still demonstrated behaviors that rebelled against the promises of God. God had led them through the wilderness, I believe, completely for their sanctification alone. But that sanctification lasted 40 years. Could you imagine being on the brink of God's promises for 40 years? Can you imagine the promise being right before your eyes, that business you wanted to start, that that company God is calling you to lead, that mission trip God is calling you to go on, that it will be right before your eyes and it take you 40 years to possess it. How many of us would just give up on the promise? How many of us would just check out and say, this is too much? How many of us would just believe that maybe this is not what God is saying? Maybe I just misheard him because it's too hard. Children of God, what I'm telling you is that the wilderness is not a place where you should be counted out. It is a place where you should move every single day where you are closer to God than you've ever been before. And I'm believing today that your view of the wilderness will look a little different um, than what we see here in this particular passage. So point number three, boldness looks like actually possessing the promise of God. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Right before Leviticus, or I'm sorry, right after Numbers, one of those things. Thanks. All right. It says, these are the words of Moses. He spoke to all of Israel across the Jordan and in the wilderness, the Arabah, opposite of Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazareth. It is an 11-day journey from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, by way of Mount Seir. Now, this should have immediately made you angry. And you say, Marcus, I have no idea where these places are, so I can't get angry yet. Let me explain to you what just happened. The trip from Egypt 
to Canaan should have only taken the Israelites 11 days. God is saying, Moses, when I called you, the anticipation was this, that you would rescue them, that you would deliver them. I would offer you provision, and in the 11th day, you'll be living in my promises. Forty years, what should have took them 11 days. Forty years. Lord, let it not be so. Amen? <laughs> so although it should have taken him 11 days in the wilderness to get to the promises, it took the Israelites 40 years due to their lack of boldness and trusting God's promises, their lack of boldness in trusting the evidence of God's promises, and their lack of boldness in possessing God's promises. A couple takeaways that I want you to get in your heart. Number one, I want you to be cautious of your leaders. Be cautious of your leaders. We had 10 leaders of those 10 ancestral tribes that brought back a negative report, and none of those individuals would have ever accessed the promises of God. God would allow them to die off and allow their children to access the promises of God. But those who were led by individuals who intentionally brought back a bad report they would have never entered in the promise of God. So it took them a little longer than the 40 years. So be careful about your leaders. Your leaders can literally change your destiny. Amen? Number two that I want you to remember is not to settle in a place of deliverance, but begin to embrace the freedom that God has for you. Children of God, if you would literally just lean into the place that God has for you, I know it's difficult, and I know everything around you looks like it is absolutely impossible. But I cannot help to think to myself that if you would just begin to believe that God or that you are everything that God says that you are, I believe this city will be radically different. It will be radically changed because you are doing what you're supposed to do. I think that there will be nonprofits that will spring up out of nowhere. I believe there will be more churches um, than we can even number. I believe that people will be getting saved, delivered, and set free in our city. I believe that businesses will sprout up and be profitable. I believe schools will start. Like, I believe all. The, if you just would lean in to the promises of God, if you would take the 11-day track and not the 40-year track, how quick would our city be radically different? Amen? I believe in you. I believe in you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to serve you, Father. I thank you for this message. I pray that your people would embrace a level of boldness that they'd never embraced before. Father, I pray that they would lean into you harder than they've ever leaned in before. Father, you have called your people for such a time as this, Father, that you would build your kingdom, Father, off of these folks who acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. So, Father, I pray that right now, Father, that right now, Father, that right now, Father, that that dream that's on the inside of your people, that you will begin to birth that dream right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, they will begin to move forward in the name of Jesus, Father. You are calling them for such a time as this, Father. Eyes have not seen nor have ears heard or even entered the heart of man what you have prepared for those who love you. Greater are you that is in us than he that is in the world, Father. Greater works will we do, Father, because you have ascended back to the Father. I pray that we just get these in our spirit, Father, today, that we would move to a place, Father, that we will access and possess the promises of God. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. 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 <laughs>
Amen, amen. You know, the word of God says that all promises find their yes and amen in Jesus. So the reality is we don't have to look to our failures or our successes to find comfort. All we have to do is look to Jesus. Now, when we look to Jesus, Jesus calls us to respond in faith, to respond by being obedient, to respond through saying yes to him every day, not just once a week on Sundays. But at the end of it all, it's Jesus' work and not ours that matters most.